This uh, semester, we've we've been tackling some stuff that is um, that's I don't want to say like deep because everything's deep with the Lord, and um, but maybe just uh, stuff that we don't normally talk about. Uh, we came out of last fall um, going through a book called The Good and Beautiful God, which unpacked a series of false belief. Um, like basically lies that we have come to believe about who God is. And then we compared, we discussed those lies and all that baggage and where it comes from. And then we looked at the truth as uh, Jesus reveals God to us and compared those things. And um, so what, what we felt led to do this semester was to basically kind of continue that idea, um, not so much the false narrative versus the Jesus narrative, but, but more just like let's just keep looking at who God is. Um, because the more we can look at that and the more we can, can just dive deeply into that, um, this, I, I think there's just a lot of things that will change. And, uh, and so the, the hard part about doing a series like that, whether it's a Sunday night thing or a community group thing, is that um, it's, I mean, life kind of happens. And so uh, as life is going along, sometimes you miss a Sunday night or you miss a community group. And sometimes it's, you don't have a choice, and sometimes you do have a choice, and, you know, whatever. Um, and so this is not a, uh, an attendance-needs-to-happen sermon. This is more just recognizing the fact that, like, if, if we're going systematically, so to speak, through something, um, if you miss one, there's not a lot of opportunity to go back and recap. Uh, when I started seminary, um, that I realized that, that at New Orleans Seminary, it's not sequential. And so my first semester... All my classes, I'm also in that, those same classes with people who are about to graduate. And so the professors, rather than assuming everybody's n- new to seminary, they assume everybody is, like, about to get out. And so they're just throwing out all these words I'd never heard before. Like, like I just remember, like, really in the first day or two, I was like, I have to find out what hermeneutics means, exegesis, um, w- the difference in all the millennial views, uh, what is dispensationalism, why is Gnost- what is Gnosticism, and why does everybody so worked up about it? I mean, all this stuff, and I'm sitting in these lectures being like, I wish, I wish that I was humble enough to just raise my hand and be like, I have no idea what that means. The professors, they, never, they didn't care. They just assumed that you knew it. Um, or if you missed a lecture and there was, there was never any going back, they assumed that everybody knew everything about everything and nobody ever missed a class, and, uh, and that was ridiculous. So... Um, I was in praying about uh, where to go. I just really felt that the Lord was like, "Let's just let's just take what you've done so far and let's let's recap it, and that'll be a chance to reinforce some of what we've been talking about. Um, if you miss something along the way, maybe it'll kind of help fill in some of the the gaps or whatever. And so we've we've looked at six attributes so far, um, and we start off with uh, with God is holy, and we start off with that one because. Um, because that one, like everything else, it, God is holy in those things. So we can talk about God being God and His goodness as an attribute, but it's not goodness 
in the sense, in the way, same ways that you and I think of goodness or are, or are good necessarily, his goodness is holy goodness. His knowledge is holy knowledge. His sovereignty is holy sovereignty. And so, um, we there are a lot of ways to define holiness, and um, we just kind of went with this working definition of, of thinking of of it as as separate and devoted. The idea that God is is separate not only from us but separate from sin. And so, because He's separate from sin, there's a there's a purity. There's a um, there's just something about everything about Him that He's never been discolored by sin the way that we have. He hasn't been uh, just affected by it in every part of his being. He hasn't been affected by it at all. Um, and so him being separate from sin, and then him, him being devoted to his glory, that with, with things that are holy, with uh, the Sabbath day being holy, it's, it's devoted to the Lord. Um, when, when they would ordain priests and stuff like that, they were, were, were saying that, that this, is being, this person is being set aside and being devoted to service to the Lord. Um, and so God is not only separate from sin and completely, you know, unaffected by it in that sense, he's also devoted to his own glory. And so in every attribute we talk about, uh, it's those attributes are unaffected by sin and their, their aim is the glory of God. Okay. So we talked about that first because that needed to kind of like undergird everything else. So we went from there, we, then we talked about God being independent. Uh, meaning that uh, he is so he is uncreated, and so everything else, every one of us was dependent on creation. Like we had to be created. Everything that we see around us had to come into being at some point. But God um, is independent in the sense that he's not dependent on anyone or anything. He's he's good to go. Um, and once again, his independence is holy. So we think, oh, God's independent means he's like stubborn and does what he wants. Like, no, his independence is holy. It's separate from sin. It's devoted to his own glory. And so a lot of that discussion came down to the fact that, you know what? God doesn't uh, need a thing. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need um, any of us to do anything. He is absolutely 100% completely self-sufficient and good. There's nothing about him that needs us. Now, he wants us. He chooses to involve us, but it's not because he's like, hey, I really need, he doesn't sound like, hey, Vernon, I really need you to go to Sudan and set up these orphanages and stuff, and then we'll expand you to India in different places. I really need you to do that. No, that's, God didn't need them to do that. He chose that. He's independent. Um, then we moved into one that caused a lot of controversy, which was that God was, is unchangeable. And uh, I'm not saying unchangeable um, in a whole bunch of other respects. We talked about him being unchangeable in his attributes. Um, like he's not going to all of a sudden one day stop being omniscient. You know, he's not going to like get fed up and be like, that's it, I'm not going to be faithful anymore. That he is unchangeable in that. He's unchangeable in his purposes, um, in his vision for what he wants to do, that um, once... When, when God says, this is, this is the plan, like, that's the plan. And it's not going to deviate. He may make adjustments or whatever as, you know, he sees fit or whatever, but he's not going to change that. Um, that his promise, that when he says, um, I'm with you always, nothing you can do or I can do is going to make him change his mind. Um, that he is unchangeable in those ways. Uh, and the things that Scripture sets up. 
We move from there into him being eternal. This was kind of a mind blower uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, that he does not function within linear time the way you and I do. So we go through, we experience one moment after another, one moment after another. And as we're going along in this timeline, the further we get from something that happened, the less we remember about it and that kind of stuff. We have to be reminded and all these kind of things. We don't know what's coming up next. We just kind of have to like wait and see and all that kind of stuff. So we're, we're in a linear timeline kind of deal um, that we re- pretty much just remember the current moment the best. And then once that moment's gone, we start to forget it. Like you probably already forgot um, what time the Easter egg hunt is. I did. I think it's 10.30. I don't know. We'll see. Um, now, God, not being linear like that, he is outside of time. So God, um, his eternal nature, in, in part, means that he um, experiences every, everything all at once. He doesn't experience time in a moment-by-moment kind of way. He doesn't, uh, he's not like forgetting what happened last Sunday or the Sunday before that. That he remembers, uh, he, not remembers, he knows the details of David and Goliath, just like he knows the details of this moment right now. Uh, he just, he sees it all at once. We looked at this diagram that apparently was controversial in some ways, and it wasn't really even designed to show you, it was more for the group leaders. I just forgot to tell them, like, this, this might help you, but you don't have to, like, show your group, and everybody showed it to their group. People are like, what do you mean, 1994, you know? Um, I didn't show it to y'all, so... Um, but the diagram, like it showed this, this timeline, it had these big events in history on it, whatever, and it just showed God up above it, that he's looking at every single event, like he sees and experiences every event all, all at once. So he never forgets, because he's not linear. He's not one moment after the next. He's all of it at one time. Now that, I'm just going to kind of leave that there. Um, but that, combined with the next week, which was his, his omnipresence, that he is fully present everywhere all the time. He's fully, fully present here, um, just like he's fully present at your house right now. Just like he's present in Monclova with all of our friends there. He's present in uh, Kolkata with our friends there. He's present in North Korea with the friends that we will make there. He's present with your families wherever they are. I mean, he's fully present everywhere all the time. Um, not spread evenly among us, but fully present. Just as present in this room as he is in heaven, which blew me away. I was like, wait a minute. Just as present in heaven as he is here. Um, we're just not as clued into it. He chooses to reveal his presence um, in different ways at different times and different places as he sees fit. But just because... Just because we're not, you know, there's not like a, like a burning bush like with Moses up here on fire right now doesn't mean that he's not still as present as he was then. And because he is outside of time, he remembers that day just like he does this moment. So he's everywhere all the time, which means that since he's everywhere all the time and he's outside of time, he's also omniscient in the sense that he knows everything that's going on everywhere um, at every moment. And he sees all those moments at one time. So I, was, I heard somebody preach this week, and they were kind of talking about this. He said, see, you don't, you don't know what's going on at your house right now, but God does. You don't know what's going on anywhere else. Um, he brought up a real interesting point that for us today, um, there are probably, uh, I don't know, 
there's a percentage of you that have already checked your email a couple of times while you've been in church. And so you feel like you know exactly what the Masters Golf Tournament press conference is going on because you've checked it. But, and, and I'm not saying you shouldn't be checking your phone because we're all kind of addicted to it. But what I am saying, and I, he brought up this really good point, he's like, we think that we know everything going on everywhere else just because we're like tied into this web that goes all over the world. And we feel like we can be in more than one place at one time. And as neat as that is in our day and age, that puts you, what, two places at once maybe, sort of? You're fully present here, and you kind of know what's going on somewhere else. But that's nothing. You know, that's, a, that's I, I don't know. That's just like God's like, uh, like I'm everywhere, 100% fully all the time, and uh, you're not. So. so he's holy, independent, unchangeable, eternal, omnipresent, omniscient. All those things, we've just tried to dive in deep with them. And admittedly, it was a, it's been a frustrating couple of weeks because you just can't, just, you just can't fathom it, you know? Like, none of us are like, oh, no, I totally get, I totally get uh, omniscience now. I got it. Now, it helps to know that he knows everything because he's everywhere. I mean, that makes a little bit, you know, that makes sense. And then he... Never forgets, so he's omniscient and he knows and all this kind of stuff, and he's independent and he's uncreated, so of course he's other. And everything really goes back to holiness. Be like he's just completely other than us. And while it's been informative and and hope, hopefully it's been good for our hearts and stuff, um, there just comes a point in in every one of these group discussions where we just had to just kind of throw our hands up, and be like, all right, I I just don't get it fully. And for some, some we want to push away from that and say, I, then I want nothing to do with it unless I can understand it fully. Or we say, until I understand it fully, I'm not going to just be 100% in it. Um, and so I thought that a walk through Psalm 139 would maybe help us tonight. Um, so let's, let's just start at the beginning. Let's look where some of these things come out. Start at verse 1. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. All right, let's stop right there. All right, now think about how much is packed into those verses. Verse 2, you know when I sit down when I rise up. Okay, so he's everywhere. He knows everything about you. He, he knows everything about everyone. So this is, I mean, you know, David's being very expressive here, and it's a very personal thing, but let's, let's, think, let's think bigger than this. Let's think every person on the planet. I mean, let's think like your relatives that you haven't seen in a long time. Let's think about our friends in India and our friends in Mexico. Every single person on the entire planet, God is 100% fully aware of, of when they wake up in the morning. Because he's there. And not in like a creepy way, an awesome way. Like he's there. He's not losing track of any of them. He's not like, uh, wait, wait, where did so-and-so go? It's just not the case. And not only, like, I mean, you could think sit and rise, all that kind of stuff, and sort of like waking up and going to sleep, but maybe it's even like, like when you sat down in this chair, God's like, look, 
There you go. I was there. I was fully in that moment with all of you. It says, uh, you discern my thoughts from afar. One of the things that has come up, at least in our group, has has been um, the lack of secrecy of our lives. Kind of like, yeah, you know, I kind of convinced myself that God didn't see that, that nobody saw that. Or because I didn't, I didn't do it, I just thought about it, then I can kind of get away with it. I'm like, nope, you discern my thoughts from afar. Not meaning that he's far away, but more meaning like you thought you were far away. He's like, no, you weren't. I was right there in your head. Verse 3, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Okay, more of the same stuff. Like there's just every, there's just nothing about our lives that's hidden from him, that's secret. No matter how much we convince ourselves, um, we're convincing ourselves of something that is false. Um, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. So you don't even have to say it, and you don't even necessarily have to think it. And this kind of gets into like some of that time stuff that God, He doesn't just know the future. He's not like I can predict what's about to come out of your mouth. He's like, no, he, he knows what's about to come out of your mouth because he's in that moment already. That's, that's amazing to me. I mean, he's like, you, you, just think, you just think you know what you're about to say, but you don't. I do. I know it's about to happen. Because when I look at it, I see it all. I see everything going on. And that certainly brings up so many questions. I mean, there's just such a difficult thing and I think sometimes maybe we're more comfortable with a God who doesn't know what's, what's ahead. You know, we're, we're better with, like, with a form of like deism where it's like God just kind of like wound up the world and just kind of turned it loose, and he's kind of sitting back watching things unfold too. Like he's on Twitter being like, oh my gosh, there was a tsunami. You know? As difficult as it is, I think, for us to realize that like he, he knew that was going to happen. He knows everything because he's, we're going moment by moment. He's in every moment already. Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I, I cannot attain it. All right? If you hate this kind of stuff, you need to like, latch on to the last part of that verse. He's like, it's too high. I cannot attain it. Just embrace it. But how cool is it that I, I don't have a God I can figure out? What a great blessing, you know? Who wants to put their complete faith and trust in, some, in a God they can, like, totally, totally, like, diagram? He's other. He's holy. Verse 7, more of the same stuff. Where, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? And we've all kind of done that, I think. There are, are stretches where people will not come to church or won't go to a community group or won't involve themselves in Christian community. And I think that's a form of running from God. Because when you're at church or in community group or a part of Christian community, you're, just, you're reminded of his goodness, of his plan, of his just abundant grace. I mean, you're just reminded of all those things. And, and I, I don't think people would be like, have you ever run from God, tried to hide in a cave? Most people are like, no, never. And that's probably true. 
I think the modern-day form of that is you just run from the church, basically. You run from your Bible. You run from anything, uh, you know, whatever. And we've all kind of been like that, where you're like, you know, I just don't really feel like being around people because then I'm, I'm reminded of the pursuit. And for whatever reason, I just don't feel like pursuing him right now. And being around them makes me want to. David's obviously been there, and he's like, where am I going to go from your presence? Where am I going to, where, where am I going to flee? And he kind of works through it. Uh, verse 8, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. Sheol was like a, was the, the trash dump of the city, um, and it's, been, it's tied in the scriptures to hell. So he's like, heaven or hell, the best place on earth, the worst place on earth, you are there. So wherever I run and think I'm hiding, I'm not. Because everywhere I am, I'm constantly just in you, constantly. Just in your presence, constantly. Verse 9, if I, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. So if I go to the most treacherous part of the sea, my life is not out of control because you control the seas, because you control my life, because your presence is there. And even there, you're looking out for me. You're taking care of me. That the inner me, if you're in the like crazy part of the sea, you might, you might die. We know from the scriptures that what's death, you know, nothing. And you're, you're going to take care of me. I'm going to be fine. Um, verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be, be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. So even in a situation where, the, where there is no discerning what's around you, complete darkness. God's like, that's not dark. It's dark to you because you're a little human. Me, I see everything. I'm not like you. So even in the, the most dire of circumstances or places or whatever, like God sees in completely vivid color all the time. Verse 13, for you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. All right? Um, yeah, that's, that's some pretty amazing stuff right there. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. If you really question... Does God have, does he really have a plan for my life? Or is that just in Jeremiah? Is that just a verse that's cross-stitched and put on bookmarks and in cards for people who graduate from high school and college? Or is that like for real, like absolutely true? You see, when, I think sometimes when, when we talk about God having a plan for us, it, it's so uh, hypothetical, I think, in our minds. Because we are linear, we're just looking down the road and we're thinking, he just knows what's next and what he wants from me, all this kind of stuff. But no, no, he, he sees the entirety of your life at one time. Before you were born, I mean, he's looking at your whole life. I mean, he knows your whole life. 
That's the kind of God that, that, that we have. Like, he's not, he's not risking or thinking or hoping or whatever. He's like, I know this. I know every detail of every life that's ever been made. Before you were born, before you were formed in your mother's womb, like, I knew everything. Why? Because I'm not like you. I don't, I, I think this whole entire psalm, he's just, I think God is, through the Spirit, is, is working through David to write this psalm to communicate you have got to stop trying to make me like you and to try to better understand me by making me a human. You will never understand me better by humanizing me. Never. So stop. All right, I'll leave that there. Verse 17, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake... And I'm still with you. I awake and I'm still with you. This now turns dark. Oh, that you would slay the wicked. Oh, God. Oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Now, every time I've ever been through this song, I've been like, okay, that's just, that got weird. Because it's so, like, powerful and strong and all this kind of stuff. And then it's like, and then there's people that hate you, and I hate them. And, and I think there's, it brings in some of that human condition. And, and I think people have the audacity to go against the God that's been described up to this point in the song. Like a God who is completely independent, unchangeable, outside of time, everywhere all the time, fully present, completely knowing everything that's going on all over the planet, for all of what we understand to be human history, and people are like, I hate, I hate Yahweh, I hate your God. Jesus is not really God. People challenge him and go against him and stuff. And I think David's like, how, how, who do you think you are? You must be pure evil to oppose this God. And if you're pure evil, we aren't going to hang out. And so, what do you, what do you do? Like, what do we do with with what we've been talking about in our community groups? What do we do with this God who is so unfathomable when we start to think about these things? I mean, independent, like, doesn't need to be created, not dependent on anything, completely self-sufficient in every way, outside of time, fully present everywhere all the time, knows everything that's going on, all over the place, everywhere. I mean, how, what do we do with this God that is seemingly just so unattainable? What we do is what we see all throughout the Bible and all throughout the history of the church is we put our hands in the air and we sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That, that's what we do with what we're, where we've been. That is what you do. You stand back and you say, I have no words other than holy. Separate. Separate from sin, devoted to his glory, he is holy. And I've said it before how I feel like 
like in songs that we sing in, in, in the, the church now, we're rocking, we're rolling along, whatever. And when it gets to like singing holy, holy, holy together, the volume of the room just comes down. And I feel like that's because we're kind of like, I don't even know what, what I'm saying. Kind of like when hallelujah or whatever, something is in there, you're like, I don't, I don't know Hebrew. What does this mean? You know, or is that even Hebrew? Is it Arabic or something? I can't, never can't remember. Um, I, I think it's one of those things, it's like, We'll scream about faithfulness and him never letting go. We can understand that when it comes to holy, we kind of hold back. But I think he's had us talking about these things because holy should be the loudest thing that happens. And not that it's about volume or anything like that. It's what does it evoke in us? It should evoke absolute awe. Absolute awe. We should be taken back a little bit. We should be. We should get to a point where we just throw our hands up and be like, "All right, I'm, it's too high for me. I, I can't attain it. He's too good. He's too. He's just too much. Holy, holy, holy. Now let's go back to the beginning of the psalm because. One of the things that people talk about is, um, like you hear this thrown around at different points, is, is the eminence and transcendence of God. The transcendence is what we were just saying, that he just goes beyond. Uh, but the eminence, meaning that he's near. That God is infinite and personal at the same time. He is absolutely limitless, yet he chooses to enter into time and interact with us, because he's like, I'm not linear, but you're linear. I'm not moment by moment, but you are, and because I love you, I'm going to interact with you moment by moment. I'm omnipresent, like I'm everywhere all the time, but you're not, um, and you're, you don't understand how I can be everywhere all the time, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clue you in sometimes as to just how near I am. And so when the church comes together, it's not like God's presence, like, it's not like he like, comes in the door and we're like, welcome the Lord, you know? It's him being like, all right, I'm just going to clue you in as to just how near I am. Here we go. So let's look at this psalm through, through the lens of the personal, intimate God. Because you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Now, those are very, very personal details. And I don't know about you, but I feel like if someone on earth knew me that way, they would not want to hang out with me. They would not, they wouldn't, they, no. And so what is, what is the reaction of the God who doesn't need you, but wants you? 
the God who knows all of your thoughts, knows everything you do before you do it, knows everything you say, whether you say it, everything you think, and then whether you say it or not doesn't matter. He's everywhere on every single part of your life, 100% fully present all the time, a part of everything that you do, even the things that you think are in secret. What do you think his, his reaction is? Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. That's his response to knowing you thoroughly. He hems you in. Behind you, before you. He lays his hand upon you. He doesn't run from you. He doesn't turn his head and like throw up. He doesn't roll his eyes. He doesn't get distracted by somebody else who's seeking him more diligently. He lays his hand upon you. That's his response to knowing every detail of every one of our lives. That's where the, the infinite God and the personal God come together. I like to, to kind of just be stunned by that. And to see, that's, I'm, I'm not human. I'm not like y'all. Y'all are very conditional with each other. Y'all are very, um, you're very hot and cold with your friendships. You're, you're just so back and forth. You're like, not me. I know it all. You know what I do? I lay my hand on you. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I, I dig that. It's just, it's, it's too good, almost too good to be true. I think there's probably some of you right here right now are like, nope, no way. Too good to be true that someone would know everything about you and uh, still want to have something to do with you. And you know what? It's not a someone. It's the holy God of the universe. Too wonderful for me. Let's keep reading it through the lens of the personal God. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. Exclamation point. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Another exclamation point. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. And I was thinking like, what a dummy. Who gets stuck in the middle of the sea? Who chooses to go there? And God's not like, man, you got yourself into this. I ain't touching it. He's like, no, I'm still going to take care of you, even though that was a pretty bonehead move. I'm still, I'm still with my right hand going to hold you and guide you. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You know what's crazy? We have a lot of pregnant people at this church. And, uh, and, and that's awesome. And it's made me more aware of like how much technology is baffling 
that there's like 3D images. Like you can like see the kid's face and all that kind of stuff. And it's cool to watch these parents go go through the stages of like right now, um, baby whoever is the size of a lima bean, you know, and they watch them progress and stuff. And the bigger the baby gets, the I mean, the it just starts to become more and more real, more and more real, and um, mind blowing that the God of the universe knows everything about that kid. I think sometimes we think about ourselves like, I don't know, whatever. You know, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. Maybe that's significant, maybe it's not. But think about those, those babies, ones in the womb right now. And God's like, I know, I know everything about them. I know their personality. I know their gifts. I know when they'll realize who I am. I, I know the, the church they're going to grow up in. I know when they're going to have a really rough night in the nursery. I know when they're going to go to youth camp. I know when, I know where they're going to go to school. I know what they're going to do. I know when they're going to get married. I know, I know, I know, I know. Everything. Skip down, look at verse 19. It gets to the, to the weird part again. Oh, that you would slay the wicked. Oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. You know, he's, he's pretty angry at this point. And the connection is, you know what? If if you have an enemy, I have an enemy. You ever want to get on some some dude's bad side? Badmouth his wife. But the response of David is like, you know what? I'm so connected to you, and the fact that you know me this well, and you still lay your hand upon me, nobody goes against you. They go against you. They go against me. And so we land, and let me close with this, verse 29. It's like, okay, where, where do we go with this? Where do you... So God's infinite and he's personal. I think for a lot of us, we, we want him to be one or the other, you know? We want him to be, like, super huge and control everything and make sure everything is okay. But we resist intimacy with him for some reason. Or... We're so much about intimacy that we've re- reduced him to like a, like a BFF. We've lost sight of the holiness and the awe of God. And so those two things are not two separate things. David wasn't like, he didn't put instructions at the beginning of the psalm. It was like, first go through the psalm and think of it in like with big God and then go through it again and read it with like small God. That was, that was me. For David, it's all one thing. There's no dividing God. He's not imminent and transcendent. He's God. Like that's he's one one thought. And I think that's where I think that that's where God wants us to, to get to where we don't see him at, we don't lean one way or the other. We just see him as one whole God. He's both at the same time. I think that's what's so great about the way the psalm ends is that both of these things are brought together. That there's this infinite God who I get to pray to. And this is what he says. This is his response. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Of course. Who knows you better than your, you know yourself? God. So his deal is like, you know what? I'm, I'm going uh, to embrace this. He's like, search me. I think I know me. You really know me. Try me. And know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. 
and lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the way everlasting. You go through my life, you go through my mind, you go through my heart, you find something that shouldn't be there, you show me what it is, and you lead me in the way everlasting. You lead me in paths of righteousness for your namesake, like we talked about last week. And what does the path of righteousness look like? He knows. Because he's down the path. He sees the whole path. He created the path. He's empowered you for the path. I mean, everything is there. And so that's David. This is my opinion. That that is David's way of saying, how do I take all these incredible things and put them into real life? And he writes this prayer. It's like, I'm, I'm going to fully take advantage of this intimate God who is infinitely powerful and knowledgeable. He loves me. And I love him. And he builds his life on it. And if you know David's life, dude has some ups and downs. And I don't know where in his life this is. I don't know where in your life this is. But he is all of that. He's one. So our response got to be, God, I'm, I know I think I'm super smart, but I'm not. I know I think I know everything about everything all the time, but I don't. I think I know what's best for my life, but I don't. I think I know what, what I need to do from here, but I don't. Only you to search me, try me, test me, and just lead me. And he does. Let's, let's pray. Father, uh, I mean, what an incredible psalm that we have. I, just, I feel like every week I, just, I thank you for making sure that we, had, that we have the Bible. Like you made sure that that poem made it to us. We thank you for the way that your spirit teaches us through it and I know that there's a, there's a general application for all of us in response to this. And then there are very specific ones as well. But I pray that you would, would help us, help us to, to get to that point where, where we, we don't see imminence and transcendence. We don't see your, just your infinite and limitless nature. We don't see that as being separate from your intimate and personal care for us. It's all one thing. I pray that this would help us to shake loose from our tendency to try and drive our own lives, make our own decisions, and be completely independent. To recognize that you are the Holy One. The path of righteousness for your namesake is one that you know and you willingly want to lead us down. I pray that this evokes love in us and it, evoke, it just evokes awe in us. And so as we respond, um, that we'll do so in a way that just glorifies you. Even if it's a loss for words, that we would just glorify you. So as we stand and sing tonight, um, I pray you just help us, help these songs be a part of how we process this uh, tonight.
We love you so much. And um, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So um, if you've never been here before, we don't have like altar call times or anything like that. We just kind of just let it, let it go out there and you respond accordingly. But we tend to like to respond to music a little bit because it kind of helps us process some things. And I described it one time. It's like, um, like in the parable of the sower, you know, the seed goes out there and stuff and the birds, bird comes, takes it away. If it's sitting on the top and the birds like the devil or whatever. I think that songs afterwards are kind of like us just letting the spirit kind of pile some dirt on top of what he's doing to pack it in a little bit. Um, so it's not quickly taken as soon as we dismiss. So let's stand up together. We're going to sing some songs that are connected to what we're talking about and just let God continue to speak to us in these final moments.